0: Hello and welcome to episode 319 of The Yellow Wallpot. I'm your host Stefan Butzko, and today we will talk about Borussia Dortmund's 1-0 against SC Freiburg billionaires who have been alleged to have been conceived in the red light district and we will preview Saturday's topspiel against Borussia Mönchengladbach and for all that and more joins me Matthias Zug from Germany, this time from Telche in the Münsterland who is uh, with me now on his uh, trip in Germany. Hello Matthias, how are you doing?
1: Hey Stefan, I am doing well, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm on location, we're always authentic, and that's <laughs> why the audio quality probably isn't quite like it usually is, but uh, it's great to be back.
0: Yeah, it's, it's great to have you on here, there are obviously a lot of things to discuss this week. talking Azar Azar for Sanchez! who takes those chances so calmly, so well, so emphatically. Jaden Sancho's season gets better and better. 14 goals, 14 assists. Dortmund added another game to the now 18-game unbeaten streak against SC Freiburg, now 15 wins and 3 draws and uh, only 1 loss in 20 home games. I just have to add plus 1 to the stats that I still have from my last show notes here. Um, Matthias, I, I thought this game was, uh, very exciting in the sense that, uh, Dortmund made it very exciting in, in the end. But, um, you know, three points are three points, I guess, is the, is the major takeaway here. Um, what are your thoughts on, the, on a game that uh, is probably not one to remember?
1: Well, I mean, the main thing is the, the match reflected the weather or the ref- weather reflected the match, depending on how you want to look at it. It was a horrible, Westphalian rainy day this time of year, not too untypical. Um, and it kind of played out that way. I mean, I personally was never really worried about Dortmund. You know, they got the goal and then it just kind of, the match just kind of progressed. Uh, no one had a few opportunities, Freiburg, I guess, kind of had a couple of opportunities, though, it just, it it almost seemed like all the players out there were like, oh my god, can we just get out of this crap weather as fast as possible, so it was, yeah, I mean, it wasn't beautiful, for sure, it was kind of an ugly win, but I'll be honest, you know, sometimes you just need these kind of wins, and there were plenty of people that complained about it, but I was okay with it, because you can't, blow everybody away with beautiful football all the time especially when you're dealing with those kind of weather conditions Um, I'm okay with it it's not a match I'm going to remember because when you and I were shooting messages back and forth on whatsapp I think I even said yeah I don't even remember the match that well (laughs) so I kind of had to go back and and revisit a little bit you know it's three points that's all that matters when you think about some of the other stuff that happened that day, uh, I think the match being uneventful might actually be a good thing.
0: Yeah, I mean there were a couple of uh, hairy situations for Dortmund, and uh, I felt uh, you know there were moments reminiscent of the times when Dortmund would throw away their one nothing lead or or their their one goal lead where they just ceded. Possession and got very defensive, and uh, you know uh, it's it's never a good thing to to see Dortmund play like that. But they uh, got out of it unscathed. I think the biggest scare was when Lukas Piszczek had to clear that one ball off the line when he made a positional error at first. Um, but that's about it. I think Niels Petersen was the one, uh, who could not really place that header in a way to, to score. Otherwise, Freiburg had a lot of promising attacks that yielded in, uh, relative little danger for Dortmund and for Bürki's goal. So, um, I think Jonathan Schmid had a, had a shot that could have curled in, but in the end was white. And that's pretty much about it that I really, um, yeah. Remember, Freiburg had 13 attempts to Dortmund 16, um, 11 to 8 from Oten attempts. And, uh, you know, there were a couple of set pieces um, that, that could have been yeah, dangerous but weren't. Um, what I really, uh, you know, ob- observed and maybe not the biggest positive, I, I must be frank, is uh, the reintroduction of Julian Brandt um he played um ahead of Emre Can and Axel Witzel then in this uh throw three-man attack next to Jadon Sancho and uh, Hazard because uh Arling Haaland uh I think he had a stomach bug midweek so uh you know it was good that he didn't start but I could feel that the defensive intensity dropped with Brandt back on the field and uh I honestly have to say, on on the one hand, um, I can also see that this team is a little fatigued by now. And I'm a bit worried about the week that's coming up because it's a very big week. But um, it's interesting to see, um, you know, despite all the praise that we've heaped on Julian Brandt, that um, after um, very solid defensive performances, um, that if you add him you can see in certain situations was just his lack of of adding pressure and just this you know casual jogging around and and not closing down spaces sometimes uh opened up the situation for Freiburg where uh, other other times uh, opponents wouldn't have had it this easy to to play through a certain space on Dortmund's own right side so um that's maybe the the only negative point for me in in this game but otherwise, um, yeah, it, it was, you know, the entire team wasn't uh, on, on the same level as they were in other games. But I would say that's okay. Um, we are seeing Bayern going from strength to strength. But that being said, they also had this very shaky 3-2 win against Paderborn. And they were nearly eliminated from the German Cup against Hoffenheim in the last minutes. So it's only natural and happens to the best teams. So, um, while you can be frustrated with, with such a performance, I think, um, the main takeaway is really that Dortmund come away with the three points. So, um, yeah. And I mean, after saying that Julian Brandt didn't do his best uh, defensively, maybe, um, he had a crucial hand in the goal, um, with his first touch, uh, a nutmeg against, I think it was Leinhardt, and then finding Hazard, who then, yeah, slotted it over to, Jaden sancho who then got his i think his 14th goal now just crazy uh so yeah i i think we can all be happy with it emre Can finally got booked and uh yeah that's pretty much it from from the football that happened right
1: yeah it, it was just kind of one of those days and and given the other things that transpired off the pitch um, there, you know, and I think that's that's the natural thing to to start talking about. You know, the the match got stopped, and I didn't know what was happening. Uh, I I didn't I didn't catch it. I wasn't really listening to the German reporter that much, and uh, then I saw uh, the the referee talk to Emre Chan and then I kind of realized, oh, this this somehow has to do with Hop and Hoffenheim and the collective call it penalty or sanctions against all Dortmund fans by uh, the DFB when it comes to Dortmund playing away in Hoffenheim. For those of you that don't know, for the next two seasons, not a single Dortmund fan is theoretically loud in the stadium. Obviously, you can still get in if you're a Dortmund fan. Um, But uh, you won't be in that away section. will be completely open. And not just in Dortmund, but all across the Bundesliga, the zweite Liga, the dritte Liga, even at Preußen, Münster, uh, Saarbrücken in the DFB-Pokal. Uh, there were protests, there were banners saying that these kind of collective punishments are not right, they're not fair. Now, obviously, there were uh, issues here. There were issues specifically also at Borussia Mönchengladbach previously and then Bayern München at the match. Uh, with their ultra group, the Shikaria, and that showed Dietmar Hopp, uh as a, you know, in a crosshairs, like you're looking at him through a rifle scope, and then uh, calling him a zone, which is basically a son of a bitch, and uh, that led to, uh, well, in Dortmund, it just led to a pause. in At the Hoffenheim Bayern match, it led to a total freakout session, by the Bayern people, call it as you will. Um, and so, yeah, that's definitely been the topic of discussion here for this last week here in Germany, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, I, I was actually watching this in, in disbelief because it took me a couple of seconds to really make the connections to the Dietmar Hopp chants. Um, that sort of crept up on me, but at first I, I I thought there was something else going on because um this is really unprecedented. Um, the FIFA has a three-step protocol that basically says that referees have the authority to stop a game in uh, cases of racism and uh, discrimination and and such things. Um, I I think the FIFA protocol only really explicitly states racism and the German FA, the DFB have tweaked it to make it a bit more broad for discrimination. So basically, um, you know, FIFA says if there's homophobia, racism and sexism, then referees have this three-step protocol and the German FA has has broadened it a little bit. Um, So the, the the three steps, as you probably have heard or read by now, is the first one is stop the match and make an announcement, which is what happened in Dortmund. So the referee heard the anti-hop chance, and maybe there was a banner and, and stopped the game. Uh, but the, the, the weird part in Dortmund was that the chance have already subsided and it was already done with that subject and then came the interruption and then the stadium announcement and obviously uh, that meant that you know, people chanted anti-hop chants again. The second step is to suspend the match and make another o- announcement. Um, by suspending the match, that means uh, all players leave the field and, and go back into the locker room. And uh, basically, it says it's a final warning. If uh, whatever infringement is occurring proceeds, then uh, we will abandon the match, which is the third step. And this is almost what what happened in Hoffenheim. Uh, with the Bayern game, who were 6-0 up. And, um, Matthias, I, I think this obviously caused a lot of controversy in, 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 in many different areas. So I, I, think we, you know, we talked about this already last week, but before we really talk about what happened, uh, at the Bayern game and, and why it's, it's such a, a hot discussion in Germany and what the consequences could be i think we should talk a little bit about the origins um of the entire protest and obviously with with that we will have to talk about the mob who now is 80 years old and who is a, a billionaire um became a billionaire by being a co-founder of the software giant sap so basically very much a spreadsheet guy um, and I think he has invested above 350 million into the clubs into the clubs starting 1990, and and really uh, started pouring more money in around the 2000s, and this is sort of when he lifted Hoffenheim, um, which was a Kreisliga team, so basically the lowest amateur division you can have in some godforsaken village um in, into the bundesliga starting 2000 and uh, they got promoted in 2008 um, with a visitor average of uh, six thousand fans in in their home stadium back then it was still the Dietmar Hopp stadium because the sap arena or whatever it's called now um, that you see where hoffenheim are hosting the games that only got opened up in 2009 because the club raced through the ranks of the, of the Bundesliga or the German divisions quicker than they could build a new stadium. And, uh, so this is, I guess, the, the, the main gripe. This is someone, um, who basically violated the spirit of the 50 plus one rule by just pouring money into a club and then, uh, trying to take full command over it. And this is what uh, Dortmund fans at the core of it protest. It's very much against the idea of their, idea and philosophy of of football culture and what they are out there to protect. And obviously that's not just Dortmund ultras. It's, it's basically the entire Bundesliga and solidarity, but Dortmund fans were always one of the, uh, sections who riled against Dietmar Hopp the hardest and, uh, had a personal spat. And I think, uh, this is a good time to mention that in 2011, um, they sort of installed what what we call it a sonic gun, like a siren, in front of the uh, Dortmund away section to basically drown out the chants. Emit a high pitch noise, which uh I don't think I've heard on TV in that in that game. But obviously someone uh you know went to the police reporting a uh, tinnitus or tinnitus, or so I don't know how it's pronounced. Um, so that that was pretty bad, and in the end, it was said, "Oh, that was just the janitor, or whoever working on his own behalf." Um, which which I still find very hard to believe. It's not a very unilateral relationship in the sense that uh, only Dortmund fans are there insulting Dietmar Hopp, but uh, there have been obviously already actions taken against him, uh, by him against Dortmund fans, and he um also has uh, I think sought out to um, punish. Dortmund fence individually. I think there are 30 or, or 60 people here found and and, and fined and basically uh, used police resources to to identify people. There are um high resolution cameras installed and microphones. Um, that sort of, uh, help people to go through all that video footage and basically, you know, listen to the chants and, and, and read the lips to, to see who's defaming him. So, um, I will just say a lot of police resources who probably have a lot of other better, better stuff to do in, in Mannheim have already been, uh, yeah, spent. In, 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 in his sake and for his sake, because he, uh, cannot take it when people call him a Hurensohn, which apparently is a trigger word for him. And which is why he's being called, called that repeatedly. Um, if he had shown a different reaction, um, you know, people might have uh, refrained or, or found something else. And the, uh, crosshairs banner, I think is a reference to, uh, an Arnold Schwarzenegger film. Um, you know, Usually it, the, the first, the original banner also read Hasta La Vista. Uh, so, you know, th- there is some context to it. It's, it's not necessarily trying to, to kill him or whatever. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very difficult subject. Um, Matthias, obviously, I think since 2015, uh, he has the full control over Hoffenheim, if I'm not mistaken. You might be a bit better on, on that That's subject. correct. But um, yep. basically, the rule is, um, uh, or the exception to the rule is, if you are uh, a supporter or a patron of a of a team for more than twenty years, the German FA will make an exception to the fifty plus one rule for you. The fifty plus one rule has several exceptions in the Bundesliga. It's with Wolfsburg because they are owned by Volkswagen. You know, it's it's a Werks team, just like Leverkusen and Abi. Leipzig obviously, um, also got around that rule, um, and, uh, Hoffenheim. So these are really the, the four teams, um, that are very much against the spirit of the otherwise, uh, very, you know, robust German football culture. Um, we have talked about this before. The problem with that is, um, that if there was anyone who would really want to contest this 50 plus one rule and, uh, you know, Go to the European Court, he'd probably win, which is why, uh, you know, the uh, German FA are, are not very strict on on their enforcement, sadly. So it's it's a problem. Um, you also may I don't know you've you've read the football leagues, right? There's also a story about Dietmar Hopp enriching himself on the Firmino transfer, if I'm not mistaken. I haven't quite read about it, but uh, you have. If you have anything to add, please. Uh, please do well
1: i haven't gotten quite that far because it's kind of the book that you have to read bit by bit so as to not want to never watch the sport again um
0: so basically what what happened i i'll, I'll sum it up real quick when uh hoffenheim sold Firmino to liverpool i think it was like 41 million or so the transfer rights were owned by some i guess shell company and uh, Hoffenheim, the club, in the end only got seven million of the forty-one million, and the other million went to said share company. And guess who the owner was, according to Football Leagues? That was Dietmar Hop. So um he has also managed to enrich himself and uh you know, obviously he's a billionaire and I think like ranking amongst the fourteen, fifteen richest persons in Germany. Um so, obviously, there are always talks about philanthropy and and stuff he he does with hospitals and so on and so far. but I always counter that where um you know it'd be better if he just pays that in taxes so uh you know but so he's a very controversial figure for for German football, and I will say that you know his motivations probably aren't you know doing any good for German football as we see with the current escalation. Um, so I I always think for him it was more of a vanity project, but as you've said before, um, this entire saga is not about Dietmar Hopp in the first place. It's secondarily about Dietmar Hopp because he he is the one who who, who forced the DFB to sort of collectively punish Dortmund fans. And I think this is what the the bigger protest is, and other ultras of other clubs, as you said, Gladbach had something uh, on on last week already. Um, you know they see okay if it happens to Dortmund fans, it can also happen to us. And the the protests really are against the collective punishments. And the Chiqueria's b- banner said basically that the German FA broke their word and that uh Hop remains the son of a whore. So this is basically what was said. And then another, uh, section, um, held up another banner after the initial match, uh, yeah, su- suspension or, or the, the first stop of the game. So they escalated it. Um, and I, I guess the, the, the main problem for us is not only that there is collective punishment in the first place. Because I think that's a an un- un- unconstitutional thing to do, uh, and and B is just very unfair and doesn't really solve the issue. And the other thing is obviously uh, how officials reacted. You know, seeing then Rummenigge and Hop basically standing on the sideline and and clapping there um, is is all quite uh, a-, a weird way. And basically, um, yeah seeing a double standard of of where uh, people react to defamation and where they don't. And I I think this has been the main gripe. Um, So, Matthias, how do you view this entire ordeal that then took place in Hoffenheim with Bayern Munich and uh, the the overall reaction in in the media and and elsewhere?
1: Well, I mean, first of all, in general, I'm against collective punishments. Um, I mean, just take it from parenting standpoint. It tends to not get the full message across, but actually creates resentment. Uh, obviously, we have collective punishments, like uh, not allowing dogs in parks. People don't pick up after them, where after a while, okay, you get that, because there's more to it. But, I, you know, when it comes to this, just, just basically treat all Borussia Dortmund fans as a monolith, and I hate... When people treat people as a monolith, say, these 20 people or 100 people represent 80,000 people that go to a stadium or whatever. And that, that I've always had an issue with that, no matter what it is. I don't think one small group of people represents an entirety, be it a group of fans, a nationality, uh, ethnicity, a religion, you name it. So, that being said... Um, I I echo the sentiments of Michael Zock, who today also said, you know, collective punishments are a problem, Um, and that, uh, in my opinion, the personal insults and attacks, I'm not a fan of against Dietmar Hopp as a person. I am 100% in favor of attacking the construct behind Hoffenheim and RB Leipzig. Uh, in particular Ebbe Leipzig, because that's even a little bit different than Hoffenheim, at least Hoffenheim was a club. I will have to completely disagree with you. I played Kreisliga and it's not just villages. So <laughs> we'll we'll put that out there right away. No. Um, I'm
0: not saying it's just <laughs> villages, but I'm saying it was Kreisliga in a
1: village. I know, I know. Hoffenheim is like I mean that's that it's a village. Um by German legal standards. Uh, how we love defining things, and that's definitely a village. But, um, you know, there, I'm also not a fan of whataboutisms, but in this case, I will apply a whataboutism. Where are these reactions? For, Im- for instance, I think it was, uh, to Riga when he got racially abused in Schalke. Where was this? I mean, maybe the referee didn't hear it, and this was based on the referee's action. But it seems significantly more orchestrated and organized by the DFB and club officials, like they were waiting for this to happen. Um, Would
0: have happened in, in Dortmund. Correct.
1: Correct. And the the issue I have with how extreme Bayern, specifically the FC Bayern bosses, reacted. It bothers me because it's like really you're going to take a stand and preach about decency as a club that takes a ton of money from Qatar, as an example, uh, whose president isn't this ne- wasn't former president I have to say that now with Uliunas wasn't necessarily the paragon of virtue. Let's put it that way mildly, and and it just it struck me as incredibly arrogant the way they reacted. I think the way um Michael reacted was was actually, I'm not gonna say perfect, but it was as close to perfect as you can get because he said, listen, these personal attacks they have to stop. It doesn't help anything because, and he didn't say this, but I'm gonna put this in there. Now you're talking about what the way you said things and not why you're saying it. And you lose the argument that way. And that's something I even tell my kids. If you're screaming at someone, they're not going to hear what you're screaming about. They're only going to hear you screaming. And they're going to go into defensive mode. So that was part of the issue. And some people said, well, maybe you have to act that way so people take notice and talk about the subject matter. But having followed it this week in Germany, they are not talking about the subject matter. They're purely talking about the screaming. Um, But Michael Zock also said you can't Compare this because it said, "Well, this is like the high point of hate and discrimination and hetze, um going against and uh, attacking people in our society." He said, "Wait a minute, this isn't comparable to homophobia or racism or anti-Semitism. You know, this is this is completely different, and you have to look at it completely different from that. You can't say this is a societal issue." comparable to racism or homophobia. It is not. It just isn't. Plus, he also said, we can't forget that without the the ultras, German football would not be as special as it is these days. And also because of the ultras, specifically in Germany, they, and specifically in Dortmund, remember, I was on the South Stand in the 90s. The ultras helped rid the South Stand of right-wing neo-Nazis and he even said, basically, getting rid of the brown out of the stands is a reference to neo-Nazis. And he specifically mentioned that. And and I think that's absolutely fantastic. And his reaction was the perfect reaction versus, say, what the Bayern officials or some other people said and did, who completely backstabbed their most loyal fan base or the ones that do the most for the club in that sense. And I'm not saying, I'm not an ultra. I don't think an ultra is more loyal than I am. They may be occasionally more passionate, or they do more about it um, than I do, uh, for, for a few reasons. But the way Michael Zock reacted, and what he says, I completely, wholeheartedly, 100% agree with everything he said.
0: Yeah, I will, I will say a couple of things about the entire thing. and First of all, I observed how a lot of people reacted to this on Twitter, especially women. And I will say this, Um I hated that this particular incident was sort of the tipping point for the DFB to implement their three-step protocol Um because it sends a horrible, horrible message that this, you know... Rich white billionaire, uh, can complain a little bit and uh, all the levels are pulled to, to protect his ego. Um, if we look at it as an isolated incident, I will applaud it. I would say it is great that humans stood up. Doesn't matter, you know, whether you're rich or poor. Um, I think these insults are wrong in, in the society. They are simply wrong. You can't just defame people. And, uh, you know, standing up for someone in that sort of way is honorable and something I would usually applaud. Again, in an isolated incident, I, I think this would have been great and uh, how humans behave in-, in-, in the best of times. However, you cannot see this as an isolated incident with decades and decades of homophobia, of sexism, of racism. As you mentioned, um, you know, there are Nazis... Uh, trying to use the football for their own purposes. So, um, you know, if you think about all the very sexist banners you have read, and you're a woman taking all this in and basically saying, "Okay, this guy is is being protected now, but I never was." I think this is a horrible message because that the German FA sends you the signals. You to us, you are not. As worth as as this one billionaire and if you're a a queer person and uh, you know you've read endless and countless banners that have had homophobic contents the same you know the same message is you are with your queerness and you know you are not as worth as this one billionaire I think this is the initial message that this particular tipping point sent and I think this is a very horrible message to send to people who really bore the brunt through all these decades, so um, this this is the first thing, and I think the second point really is um, the indifference in the, in the media coverage we've seen from the actual sports studio in in Germany and, and in general um, toward um, the ultras and and the Shakira. And um, in that particular vein, I will just say that um, we all would not know who Kurt Landauer was that he was a Jew and that he was persecuted by the Nazis um and he obviously is the founder of Bayern Munich there were very smart people uh in the Schickeria and in and, and other ultra groups at in in uh, Bavaria who sat down and and really looked at the club's history and and how it comes and how um basically you know Bayern was created by a Jewish person and how um, now the relationship with Qatar, um, really flies in, in the face of, of all that. So, um, just Karl-Heinz Rummel being out there and basically saying, um, all these people will have their season tickets revoked and, uh, we will have a hate commission now where we will try to, you know, cleanse the stance or whatever, um, of, of these hateful people. Um, I don't think the Shikiria, this ultra group, are a bunch of hateful, aggressive, idiot hooligans. I think they were just adopting a harsh language to to make a point. And I'll just say it again and again. If we do not cross certain lines, nobody will cover it in the media. Um, this is obviously um, a gripe they have Said for, for so many times. And I think it is very sad to see, um, a Karl-Heinz Rummenigge to, you know, not, not have the, the, the sensibility about this issue. And I'm glad that Michael Sorg has it and, 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 said it much better. But, um, you know, this entire meltdown in Munich and, you know, Bayern players then celebrating hand in hand together with the Hoffenheim players in front of, um, the the hoffenheim stand in this very obscure 13 minutes or 16 minutes or however long it was of players just passing the ball around um so the match wouldn't get abandoned and uh bayern wouldn't lose i think 2-0 or so on on the quote-unquote green table (laughs) um yeah it's it's all been very weird and i think uh the reaction uh was was much overblown and obviously um we don't know how this will develop in the, in the coming weeks and if there will be further consequences and whether um you know people in the upper ech- echelons of the german fa will use this to really root out people and root ultras and and ban them out of the stadiums and whether there you know is is really a little culture war that 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 comes out of this or whether it all dies down i think there's a massive question mark in in which direction it is going and whether the German FA really wants to further escalate it or not. Um, I would say this, um, the banners overall, throughout the cup matches at least, uh, you know, Eintracht Frankfurt fans and so on, they have been very clever. Uh, Frankfurt fans yesterday had a banner that said, Dietmar, you are a son of, and then, you know, something that was veiled and when they unveiled it, it said of a mother with a little... uh, Smiley next to it. So, um, that was, that was very clever, but we don't know, uh, how this will now play out when Dortmund and Gladbach play each other, for example, on, on, on Saturday. And there's a good chance that maybe this match will get abandoned. And then, uh, you know, all of because Dietmar Hopp felt a little insulted here and there, uh, you know, there, there's a massive disruption in, in a very exciting title race. So, um, this sort of hangs over our heads now a little bit as a Damocles sword. But at the same time, um, you know, ultras won't easily back down and, and, and give up in, in their fight against collective punishments. And I, I think the uh, German FA has already said that this is wrong and, uh, you know, will be used as a, as a big exception. So, you know, ev- everyone is now on their toes. And I think, uh, the German FA have brought a lot of scrutiny up on themselves. Uh, upon themselves with uh, with with taking such harsh steps for things that are very usual um as as you said before the pot you know uh political correctness was never a big thing in in German football and we all strive to make it a, a more inclusive atmosphere overall but um yeah i i i'm i'm just curious how how it continues now in the next weeks matthias how how do you think it will go on
1: uh, it's hard for me to say because I mean, I've been a proponent and a critic of ultras um, because sometimes uh, the behavior has been petulant and childish, uh, almost like. Right.
0: That's, that's, that's also sometimes, sometimes because they like 15, 16, 17. Exactly. Years old, because exactly. They're, sometimes they're just petulant, childs.
1: Correct. It is what it is. Correct. But at the same time, it's not a match only for them. There are other people in the stadium. So my hope is. That it it's it's done with now. It's it's happened. We've had it. I would be okay with further protests in the vein of what we saw now in the DFB Pokal, uh, like you had mentioned, uh, or even Schalke fans putting out a banner criticizing the DFB for the collective punishments and leaving the Deep Mahop thing kind of by the side. Um, knowing that they don't necessarily have a huge moral like stand on but still um, that that I would like to see uh, versus the other thing because then if the ref or the dfb decide to then crack down on that then we have a completely different discussion as far as how much of a open and free democratic society we are at that point now i know a stadium is t- is is not open public ground it's private property so you get into a little bit of an odd uh, debate there when it comes to uh, where things stand in terms of legalities but that being said that's what I would like so if it were up to me if I could if I could be the president of the ultras which I will never be because I'm like twice anybody's age um, it would be great to be like let's do another protest but this time let's not go there but instead talk about the collective punishments and the overreactions and the the double standards being applied but then leave the you know calling someone an s o b or using crosshairs because i know they didn't technically mean directly to go shoot him but you know it could lead to some crazy person going that way so i would just assume not do that and then focus on the actual issues at hand that that's what i would like to see so i wouldn't i don't want the protest to go away completely but what i would like them to do is focus more on the matters at hand and the overreaction and the double standards at play especially from bayan people um and then kind of move on and make sure that Dortmund don't lose the points because of that type of behavior. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I mean, mean, it it would have been quite funny had the Bayern match been abandoned and Bayern would have lost uh, 2-0 officially after being 6-0 up just because Bayern fans were showing solidarity with Dortmund and that sort of deciding the title race. That obviously would have been... A hilarious story from my end, <laughs> but uh, no. In, in all seriousness, and and something uh, we have not mentioned yet, but um, th- there was one further development which I think we should at least mention here that that people know that it's happened, and uh, the the police in Mannheim, which is the greater Hoffenheim Zinsheim area, um, they have started a task force. Ermittlungsgruppe Kurve. So basically the task force stand or whatever. And, uh, they want to, um, uh, yeah, sort of, uh, go, go after people individually that are in, in fan sections and, uh, look for defaming things and, and whatever. And I don't know, then ban them for the stadium or I don't know file criminal charges i don't know what the what the end goal is but um, i think as i said before um, I, this is maybe a bit of waste of of police resources and uh, also a bit of an overreaction so yeah i i, I don't know how you, how you feel about this um i was on the call of side podcast uh, from by run by espn earlier to talk about this and they immediately jumped to the first amendment you know if you if you defame someone, um, you know, should should the police then then prosecute people? Obviously, the laws in Germany are a little bit different, but but still, um, you know, it it makes me feel very uneasy. Let's put it this way. So I I want to um hear your thoughts on on this uh, commission or whatever it's called.
1: Well, I mean, nowadays we have commissions for everything, to talk about everything. Um, I think it's also a little bit of an overreaction. Uh, But I do remember going through driving school here in Germany and uh, being told how expensive it is to flip someone off. And 18-year-old me went, really? I can get ticketed and pay a fine for flipping someone the bird? And yes, that is the way it is in in, uh, Germany. Uh, I'm not. I'll be honest. I'm not quite sure what the law is in the United States. In New York City, there would be a lot. In Philadelphia, man, people would be getting ticketed left, right, and center for flipping the bird. Um, so, right, uh, yeah,
0: they literally refer
1: to the yeah, birds. Exactly. So it just—I've never quite understood it. Um, I understand, you know, we have that 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 sentence in our Constitution that the honor. Uh, of the person shall not be infringed upon. And obviously, insulting someone does that, so you're technically in violation of the Constitution. Um, I think you have to kind of see how it goes, because obviously, if this leads to people, say, firebombing de Mahop's house, yeah, then then obviously, then we've got a massive issue, because it's like, chill chill out, people. Um, so legally in the, in, in the United States, it would be a little bit weird, but here in Germany, they have a legal, they, legally they have the right to do that. If Dietmar Hopp says, listen, I feel like I'm being hounded and singled out and my person's being attacked and that's causing undue psychological harm and stress to me and my family. And he pushes it and given who he is in society, um, I'm not surprised it's happening, um, but do I feel like it's a little overblown? Yeah, uh, but I'm not surprised that it's happening, but legally, if he pushes it, he has every right to do so.
0: Yeah, so the, um, the, the German, the official English translation of the German constitution, um, and the the first article and first sentence that you just mentioned is uh, human dignity shall be inviolable and to respect and protect it shall be the duty of the state authority this this is how it all starts so with with human dignity basically and uh, i i I, th- I i personally like that sentence so uh you know, I'm, I'm, I don't really have much against it. And I will say this, DeepMahop obviously has every right if he feels in- insulted and his character and his dignity, uh, uh, violated. Then, um, yeah, I think he has a right to, to act upon it. I, I don't want to, uh, you know, with, withhold that right from him. I'm, I'm just saying it's, it's all a bit overreactionary here and there. And, uh, I think the double standard needs to be pointed out. And I also don't think that's, uh, necessarily what aboutism, what aboutism in, in my definition is more of a, uh, re- rhetoric, um, where when you are confronted with, with, uh, your own bullshit, you are just trying to point out other people's bullshit. But that's not really what, what happens here. I think there are people, um who who literally just said yeah well did my that's all nice and well but what about me um so i don't, I don't think that's that's the defi- definition of what aboutism, but uh, we can we can discuss all that uh in in i don't know lengths and forever uh so maybe we should just move on to the gladbach game matthias which obviously um is the first game of Dortmund's Week of Truth, die Woche der Wahrheit, (laughs) where they play in Gladbach, then away to PSG, and then the Revier Derby. So this is make, 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 or break, 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 basically for Dortmund. (laughs) Uh, I don't have any other definition. Gladbach right now in fourth place, but they have a game in hand and are only two points behind Dortmund. So theoretically, if they... uh, can win the game against Cologne, which uh, is on the same day as Dortmund play against PG, then Gladbach could leapfrog Dortmund, unless obviously Dortmund win in Gladbach, then this is no longer possible. So it's a big game with with big implications. Um, the league leaders, Bayern, are still four points ahead of Dortmund. Bayern, uh, Leipzig and Bayer Leverkusen both dropped points by uh, splitting the points last weekend. So second place is only three points away for Dortmund. Um so if we look at the table this really is where it all gets juicy and uh, very interesting. Um so before we talk about the game itself um how optimistic are you going going into this entire match day and uh, how excited are you about the potential implications that could be very positive for the black and yellows?
1: Well, it's huge. I mean, you're right about these being big weeks because we can't forget a couple, a few weeks after the Schalke match, there's Bayern. So, um, after uh, an ill-conceived international break, but the the implications are are huge. I think uh, what what helps Dortmund because it was brought up to Max Eberl today is how the horrendous record that Borussia Mönchengladbach have in recent years against Borussia Dortmund. And and he said, "Yeah, no, we're aware of it, uh, and and we would like to change that." Well, yeah, no kidding. Uh, so would Christian Streich, but it, you know, it's it's just the way it is. And I think that that plays to Dortmund's advantage in the sense of they can go in and know that even if they don't play well, they can still beat Gladbach because obviously they've done that this season. Um, the pressure. I don't really know if there's more pressure on one team or the other. I think the pressure is on the teams above them at this point. Gladbach having a match in hand, they can afford to lose this match and not lose a ton of ground because they'll still be playing another match. Um And, you know, Dortmund, they they do need something from this to not lose touch to the top two. So I guess probably a little bit more pressure on Borussia Dortmund that, and that will be really interesting to watch because there has been, you know, always over the course of the last 12 months, a lot of discussion about the mentality of this side. And I think that's where guys like Holland and Chan. Come in so with so important because they don't care about what happened in the last Rückrunde or in the Hindrunde this season. They're focused on things now. They're winners and they're going to push their teammates to play accordingly. So I think it has all the makings for an incredibly entertaining match.
0: Yeah, Dortmund already beat La twice this season, once in the league and once in the cup. Um, I I'm always very about. About that, back because I know Marco Rose is a very good coach, and uh, you know, it's it's going to be a, a very um, difficult game. Um, Dortmund are obviously still without Marco Royce, who is probably going to return for the Bayern game if then. Um, Lucien Favre said today that he is back training in the uh, facility, in the indoor facilities in Dortmund. Uh, so, after the muscle injury he had. Um. Yeah, he is probably going to be out for all the three games that I mentioned earlier. Um, I think Hans-Joachim Watzke had an interview with the French radio RMC, and they say they reported, according to their information, which must have come from Watzke, that Royce is out for the game against PSG. So I think that's that's quite reliable. And uh, you know, looking at at how it's, how it's going now, obviously, uh, yeah, we can't have Marco Royce for these very vital games which is really a shame because uh, his leadership would be needed but also um you know just having another star player and and more rotation because you can see obviously the fatigue of of other players uh playing a role and especially in these weeks you have to rotate and this to me is is really a big question matthias because um i just said you have to rotate but if i look at all three games i really struggle to see when Because you want to play your best team against Gladbach and you just had a whole week off. So um, why would you rotate then? Then again, uh, you want your best team in Paris and you most certainly want your best team against Schalke. So I feel like the rotation will probably be dictated by the additional injuries that we can foresee uh, for now. Um, So what, what do you think Lucien Favre will do?
1: Well, I, I expect Holland to play again uh, up top because uh, why wouldn't you? This is such an important match. With Paris coming up, and given that Paris are going to be missing some key players, uh, I wonder if that will play into his thinking at all as far as who plays Witzel, Chan, Brandt, you know, where, where that combo sits. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Witzel and Brandt against uh, Gladbach and then Witzel and Chan against Paris it wouldn't shock me if we see that and then Witzel and Chan again <laughs> against um Schalke just because i expect the Schalke match to be very combative uh given what i just saw Schalke try to do to Bayern uh so very very physical so i th- that's where i could see some rotation happening but I mean, Lucien Favre doesn't even rotate within 90 minutes sometimes, i.e. using his subs. <laughs> so uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see the exact same same team play. But I do expect Holland to play. So as such, it depends on how they mix and match uh, in behind him. You know, you're going to have Sancho in there and Brandt or Sancho and Hazard and then Brandt in the, in the double pivot with Vitzel that's going to be kind of the interesting thing to see. I think other than that, wingbacks, defenders, goalkeeper, uh, those will all stay. So, uh, that that's that's really where I see the most likely scenario for a little bit of a mini rotation, but overall I would say 80, 90% of the squad we're going to see the exact same guys in the next 3 matches barring of course as you mentioned any unforeseen injuries.
0: Yeah, here's the thing. So uh, I would really like to see Axel Witzel to get a break. I think uh, he is fatiguing a little bit. Um, That being said, um, I think we have to talk a little bit about his role since Emre Can came in. I think um, what we see is that he roams more freely around. (laughs) So basically like like an uncaged chicken, he now, uh, you know pops up further up the field more often because he can rely on John to play more of a holding midfielder. I, I really like this um, interaction because it highlights Witzel's strengths that he has, but sometimes uh, when he gets fatigued, he's doing that, but uh, with uh, not the same effect because he's just a little bit too late here and there. Um, I don't know if that's his his body fatigue or mental fatigue. I can't really uh, tell, but it's just... Uh, visible in, in some games here and there. So I am very intrigued in how Favre, uh, wants to solve it. Um, the evidence of the last season and this season so far suggests that he just doesn't solve it and Witzel just has to play and play and play. Um, so yeah, um, I don't know. Maybe play the hoot here and there, but the problem is, um, Dom will go up against a double pivot of Zakaria Neuhaus, which I think is underrated and and very very strong. Gladbach have uh, now um, gotten Lachinel back, who plays for them as sort of a, I wouldn't say number ten, but behind the striker, who right now is Alessandro Plea, and who is really really good in in. Uh, doing his part with holder play. And, uh, I think Gladbach have scored one, you know, many of the best team goals overall this season of teams just because of their fluidity and their combination play, uh, which obviously includes, uh, Julian Hofmann. So, um, <coughs> excuse me. So there are a lot of, uh strengths that Dortmund will have to counter off of Gladbach and I'm very intrigued to see how they will do this um because Gladbach are very smart smart in their ball retention so this entire Spiel where Dortmund just drop off and and sit back and hope that Gladbach don't have any ideas I think is very ill advice so Dortmund will have to be very proactive which so far they have struggled with on the road um I think it worked out well against Werder Bremen when they set back because Bremen is a team right now without any creativity up front and no idea how to score if uh, they can't score on a break really or win the ball up high. But if Dortmund um play like that in the Borussia park, I feel it's not going to work out very well. And this is where I really see the danger. Um So, yeah. I'm I'm intrigued to see how proactive Dortmund will be. And I, I think um we can also use this very much as a test for the game against Paris to just see in, in what sort of mindset Dortmund are and and how they approach these particular games because they are two high profile games on the road where they will have to uh play in a particular way. So um yeah. Very very intrigued about this and uh how Dortmund tried to use the, the strengths they have of, of Guerrero and Hakimi, especially against Leina and, and Vent, And obviously um, for some uh, uh, surplus in, in midfield, because we've seen it more and more aggressively, I think with every game, how Rafael Guerrero cuts and dribbles to the inside when he's still around the halfway line. So um, that has obviously helped Dortmund. And I, I wonder how, how effective this this will be against Gladbach, because I have a, I have a hunch it, it could very well make all the difference in, in such a game. So, um, yeah, it's 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 going to be a very intriguing match, and I think it's it's the classic 50-50 game where I don't see where it goes, because it really can go either way. I don't know what your thoughts are, but just looking at the strengths that Gladbach have and the strengths that Dortmund have, I, I think... Um, we will be in for a treat might not be uh, a shootout like the game in Leverkusen but uh, more of a cagey tactical affair that's what I expect at least
1: well I I agree I think uh, what we can see is probably I'll reflect it in my my pick for a scoreline and uh, I'll give you that right away I think it's going to be a 2-all It just screams like it. Both teams are going to score goals. Uh, I think there will not be a clean sheet. And I don't think there are going to be a winner. And I think the neutrals will be very entertained. And both sets of fans will be very frustrated.
0: Yeah, I can see that happening. Uh, I will predict a 2-1 win for Dortmund just because I am trying to be optimistic. But, uh, you know, Dortmund don't win 2-1 that often. So maybe this is is, is not a good... Tip, and I feel like this is like my fallback prediction when I know things are gonna go wrong, <laughs> so maybe also not a good omen. So, yeah, in, in, in trying to be positive, I actually was negative. Well done, Stefan, but um, yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be a, a, a real test for Dortmund, uh, and obviously, it will determine a lot how they go into the Champions League with what, what sort of mindset. Because if you can prove to yourself that you can win away to Gladbach, that obviously lifts you up quite a quite a way. And then uh, obviously we can discuss the Paris game next week because I will have another episode ready on Monday, and I will have Ed from the PhD talk on again. So if you liked that interview, you can look forward to this. So Matthias. Um, I don't want to talk too much about this game, other than a hey, you should all watch and uh, I don't know really hope that uh, yeah Gladbach don't wreak too much havoc with Embolo uh, player and Thuram who uh, are very good. I think turam is doubtful. Uh, when I want to add that, but I'm not entirely sure whether he can play or not. So um, yeah, overall uh, a very strong Gladbach side who had who have a strong run of form right now. So yeah, looking looking forward to it. I think the 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 last loss of Gladbach was against Schalke, the the first game of the Rückrunde, which was odd, and everyone thought, "Wow, Schalke are really here to stay," and uh, it really didn't pan out that way. And it's interesting that uh, Gladbach could really, um, yeah, keep track with the top four, and are now only two points behind Dortmund with a game in hand. So really, kudos to Gladbach and. Uh, I'm sure I'll say it next week, but again, the decision of Max Eberl to can uh, Dieter hacking and install install Marco Rose was uh, was a gamble, and I think so far we can say it really paid off.
1: I will completely agree.
0: All right, I think I think that's it, right? Uh, um, we have both decided that we will address any rumors about any seventeen-year-old kids from England next week, if at all considering uh, there are so many diverging reports that it's hard to say whether there's anything to it or not. So uh, we'll cover that particular subject next week. Uh, and with that, I-, I think you can now start telling our listeners how to follow you on the internets.
1: Uh, yes, you can follow me on Twitter at Matthias Souk.
0: You can follow me on Twitter at Stefan Botsko. And if you want to follow all of us, then please go to Facebook or Twitter at yellowwallpod is the particular handle. If you want to read our written content, then go to theyellowwall.net where you will also find our paywall content for one buck on Patreon. You can unlock that and read it there. And uh, I will say this. Please, again, uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which I think is The Yellow Wall on YouTube. If you hit it or Yellow Wall Pod, you will come to it. And uh, if we get a 1,000 subscribers, we can monetize it, which would be awesome. And, uh, you know, also a good way to listen to the show that way. So please do that. Otherwise, you will find us also on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, etc. And if you want to sponsor an episode please contribute 10 bucks a pop on patreon.com slash Wall, where you find all the further information to do that or just hit me up on Twitter and ask. So that's, that's it for this week until Monday and then Thursday because we will have two shows next week because of the Champions League game, which I'm looking forward to now. I hope I'm still looking forward to it by Thursday. So with that all in mind, uh, as always, everyone out there, Thank you for listening, stay safe, and goodbye.